0: And hello there Peter Mansbridge, here you're just moments away from the Wednesday edition of the Bridge. You know what that means? It means Smoke, Mirrors and the Truth with Bruce
1: Anderson. Are you still trying to find ways to get into the world of crypto? Well, look no further. Bitbuy is Canada's number one platform for buying and selling Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Bitbuy has launched a brand new app and website with a new look, lower fees and new coins. Bitbuy is your one-stop shop to get involved and super easy to use for beginners. Visit bitbuy.ca or download the Bitbuy app. Enter referral code PODCAST20 to get $20 free when you make your first deposit.
0: Wow, I sound pumped. I sound like I'm really into it.
1: Leader, er- you are really into it and I can <laughs> tell why I'm looking at your shiny face this morning and you're going, you know what it's four hundred and forty eight days of pandemic and it's almost over. I can see the finish line. I'm going to Scotland. I'm gonna just get back to life and and who's not excited about that
0: I'm uh, you know I can't see the end of the tunnel. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, because I'm Master Zeneca boy, like you are, and they have screwed this up so bad in trying to get the second dose to people, it's outrageous. God, it's if totally I had a disorganized. For every
1: sentence that started, they have screwed this up so much. I'd be pretty rich. You would so, be. <laughs> You'd especially <laughs> be rich but...
0: right now. Here, I'll give you a dollar right now for every time I say it.
1: We should have a jar that is for you know a dollar or ten dollars every time you say. They really screwed this up because otherwise, you know what? We might just turn into those two old guys from the Muppets sitting up in the balcony looking down at everybody else, going, They screwed this up. Why do they screw this up? (laughs) They did
0: screw it up. Now, obviously, you've figured out a way to get your second shot. I haven't. I've called every pharmacy in southwestern Ontario and in Toronto willing to drive into Toronto. And they, you know, they say, no, 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 you've got to go to the pharmacy, you got your first shot. And I said, fine. So I phoned the pharmacy, I got my first shot. And they say, they don't they haven't given us any supplies. So you, yeah. can you can't you just come give here. Me the
1: audiobook version of this story, and I can listen to it another day in my car. <laughs> I know this story, and here's my new technique, okay? I have I've studied about this. It's, I'm just training my mind not to think about it and to will the vaccine towards me. I was watching it uh, on YouTube, and you can just will the vaccine to come to you. And so that's my strategy for today. And I'll listen to your audio book about all the pharmacies that you called and all the no's that you got, and uh, I'll do that another day. Uh, Let's talk about You're going to
0: will the vaccines towards That's
1: the new strategy. That's I'm going to send you good. the training tape. Oh, uh,
0: man. Oh, man. I don't even want to start on that.
1: That's okay, let's way.
0: move on. Work let me start actually. Let me start this way. You'll be pleased to hear me say this. I want to uh, formally um, congratulate you and acknowledge that you picked the right team in the opening series of the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, the North opening series on the eastern side of the country. In other words, Montreal versus day. Toronto. I just want to say that even though I said at the beginning. It all depends on Carey Price. I'm absolutely right about that. Best goaltender in the world. Um, but nevertheless, you pick Montreal, I picked Toronto, and you were right. Montreal and picked I don't me. Wanna, Let's be honest. I don't want to listen to your audiobook about how good you feel about that, that decision. Uh, Montreal, <laughs> Montreal
1: pick me. Do you remember that you agreed you were going to sing the song? Can no, you sing the song? No, I never
0: sang, said yeah, anything did, about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Le I never Montaigne, said that. What's Montaigne, that thing yeah. they
0: chant in the crowd
1: when they have a crowd? Le, le, le canne jem oh, no. I can hear no, you I'm singing so. it in your rich baritone. Ole, verse.
0: ole, ole. ole
1: You uh, happy now? It's not in keeping with the genuine congratulatory message that you were sending. Anyway, I am Go.
0: sending that and I'm sincere about that. And good all for right. you and That's uh, good.
1: I'm going to take
0: it. Hockey's over for the year, but that's okay. Um all right. Moving on to uh, much more serious issues. Um I want to you know, I want to try to discuss Uh, The latest issue surrounding Indian residential schools. Uh, The question that haunts us as a country, you know, hole in our soul, scar on our nation. All of that. Um, And it's come to the forefront once again. And people talk about it as, you know, this is part of our history. Actually, you know what? Sure, it's part of our history, but sadly, it's part of our present too, because it doesn't go away. And one of the reasons it doesn't go away is because we don't properly address it. You know, when you know, I talked about this the other day, when Marie Sinclair, the justice who was in charge of the uh, commission of inquiry that looked into the residential schools question, um, gave his final report in I think it was 2015. There were 94 recommendations of a path forward to deal with this, for everyone to deal with it. And sadly, the central issues surrounding those recommendations have in fact not been addressed. And so here we are at another kind of marker in the road and people are saying, this is the moment. We've reached a moment. Well, you know, there have been many moments on the road before. And we haven't dealt with it. And, you know, I wish I could feel confident that in fact this moment, as a result of the disclosure surrounding the Kamloops Residential School and the 215 um, young children who uh, are in unknown graves there, unmarked graves, um, one could hope that this is gonna actually finally encourage not just governments, but certainly governments and institutions and Canadians generally to address this properly and make a difference on a lot of fronts in terms of how Indigenous Canadians are part of this society. Uh, But I don't have that confidence. I haven't seen anything, any reason to, that gives me the confidence that something
1: is going to change. So, well, I don't have a profound confidence either Peter, but I do have some things that I hold on to as maybe an indication that we're going to change the way that we think and talk about that and and remember that part of our history which is um, is truly shameful. And you know, I think that there's a an understandable reluctance in most cultures to try to find a way not to think about, talk about things in the past that were shameful. Um, but that doesn't make it right. And where we're at now is uh, where I think watching younger generations, if I have any reason for hope about how we deal with this, is that when I talk to young people who know something about this issue, who care uh, about, the values that we generally say we aspire to as a country—they know that this is um, this is shameful, and that there's still a a reticence on the part of some uh, to acknowledge what happened uh, with residential schools, to so acknowledge the larger question of how we uh, treated Indigenous people in Canada, but specifically the the brutality of the residential schools thing and we've seen in recent years you know you you can pick up a conrad black column and read something about what he has to say about the residential school system and it's sort of a an equivocation a little bit um you can see a quote from pierre polyev not that long ago we can remember it was you know only months ago that there was a tape that surfaced of Vera O'Toole saying you know it was a, it started out as a good idea that went bad which isn't, you know, of the same order of. It, it isn't problematic to the same degree, I guess. That quote is some of the others that I've I've read, but um, with the revelation of these graves and the likelihood that there are more of them, maybe this will be the moment where we stop having a kind of a quiet quasi conversation where we say, Yes, it was bad, but McDonald was good, or yes it was bad, but it started out okay. Or yes it was bad, but let's look at what we need to do from a policy standpoint today. Um this is horrible and um and we're probably in for more horrors of this type. And so let's hope we do something good with it. Uh, Something positive with it. Yeah, listen,
0: you know, I don't disagree with anything you said, but the fact is hope only takes you so far, right? You actually have to do something. And the markers were clearly there from Murray Sinclair six years ago on what needed to happen. Um, And once again, not just by governments, but by all of us, right? But on the government side, he was pretty, you know, he's pretty firm about what needed to happen to make life more equitable, more fair, for Indigenous kids, as they grew up through uh, the health uh, they received, the health care they received, the education they received, um, as they got older, the judicial system they faced if they were in trouble, um, that it was not fair, that it was not equal to what uh, non-Indigenous kids go through. And so what does the government do? You know, initially they said... Ah, these are, we're going to look at all these uh, recommendations, and you know we should be moving on all of these. There's certainly a lot of them. So what do they end up doing? Actually, they end up fighting in court some of these changes that had been basically ordered by the courts to make systems more fair and more equitable. And you go like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know. You can't have it both ways here. You can't say yes, we have to do something, and then, on the other hand, fight change, fight fair change, fight change. The courts agreed had to be had to be done. Yeah. Like I, you know, I I realize this is a political football for some, and you know, you mentioned uh, you know O'Toole and Polyev, the conservative. I don't know what he is now. But, House leader, or finance critic, or he's has being all of them at some point or another, um, and th- you know the the fact that some of these are trying to make this a political issue. It's not a political issue. It's a human issue. It's an issue about our country. It's a, a it's an issue that 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 um, taints us on the international stage at the UN, at other places, and it's going to take a concerted concerted effort, not, uh, not an effort that has, you know, these conflicts within it as the one I just uh, exemplified, uh, to, to begin significant
1: and real change. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think this is a, this is a moment that tests leadership and, that there's not really a lot of room for gray. And I think, you know, what we've been watching over the years has been a kind of a growing recognition that there have been problems and that we needed to be more upfront about them. And then we needed to deal with them. And so let's have a commission and let's look at the recommendations and let's say that we're going to adopt all of the recommendations and then let's adopt many of them and make some effort. But we, but, you know, I can't help but walk away from watching that experience and knowing what we now know about these deaths at these residential schools and seeing this evidence, which is so vivid and shocking, but with the view that we still at the end of the day have a kind of an institutional force trying to reckon with the fact that the earlier versions of the institutional force made some horrible choices. And just in the way that human nature and institutional nature works, I guess sometimes it takes more generations of change before that comes to reality, or we decide that we're just going to put it away and not think about it. And I'm, if I have hope, and I understand your point about hope only takes you so far, it's that at some point, and maybe that point will be soon, like it should be in hours or days or months, but not decades, that we say, no, we're not going to on the one hand, on the other hand, anything about this anymore, especially with respect to residential schools, there's simply no way not to look at that and say, we shouldn't be in court cases with people about the impacts of them on this. We need to solve this problem and we need to get on with it. Um, Not to remove it as a political issue, but to establish the political right uh, on this, the so what what is the right, the appropriate way for Canada, a country that likes to think of itself in a certain way, should think about this. Should remember our history. Should understand it. I, I can take a little tiny bit of hope from the fact that the analog issues in the United States don't seem to generate uh, anywhere near the level of public. Angst that we have upon these revelations. I don't want to make more of it than is legitimate, but we are having this conversation. We are having a conversation about how we should feel about the founding um, people of this country and the choices that they made with respect to residential schools. And that's what we should do. And I think in America, sometimes people just go, no, we're not going to revisit history. History was a product of the times and that sort of thing. And I can't look at residential schools as a 64 year old man and say, well, it's okay because you know, back then people thought about this a certain way. Like, I don't know as a human being that I could ever imagine there being a context in which I would say, let's take these kids away from their parents. Let's treat them this way. Let's put their lives at risk and not care. Um, so any of those arguments I think don't work and I'm a little bit happy that we can say these things in Canada and it's not, and it maybe propels us towards a better resolution of this issue um, than somewhere else, but it's very cold comfort for sure. And, and I think the writing's on the wall for politicians. They've got to do more um, to, to, to write this situation.
0: Uh, They do, and as I've said a couple of times already here, they're not alone. It's more than just the politicians, but there's a starting gate there. You know, my fear is, once again, you know, like six years ago, there was an enormous amount of discussion about this issue when uh, Murray Sinclair's report came out, and it was the focus, and people called it the moment, and it's all going to change, and what happened? Basically nothing happened. You know, there was... You know, perhaps the the most of what happened is what you're talking about in terms of young people. It focused their mind on an issue perhaps they hadn't known about, certainly hadn't been taught about in most schools, yeah. um, but became aware of it. And, you know, you bank on them as a future generation of leaders uh, to ensure that if that if we didn't do anything about it, they would do something about it. Um so you know, you know, maybe maybe in that is you know there's uh, there's some progress, but I do fear that this moment will pass just like all the other moments, yeah. and uh, you know nothing significant's going to happen. I mean, Perry Belgard, who uh, you know the uh, uh, the Grand Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, who was on this on our podcast a week or two weeks ago now. Um, talking about his relationship with the federal government and and how well many First Nations have done through the pandemic because they acted quickly and their leadership was strong and good. Um, I see he met yesterday, or at least had a virtual conversation with uh, the prime minister, and, you know, directly appealed to him to drop the court cases, move on, show leadership on this issue, that'll have an impact and you know he you know he has he's got clout he has not only uh, the clout of his his title and his leadership role but he's got political clout as well you know he has an impact on you know a, a lot of votes and you know a couple of dozen ridings where he can make a difference or or the indigenous vote can make a difference Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out let me make yeah yeah, go ahead
1: you know i was just reading this story about jason kenney's response to questions about this uh about the renaming of a school in calgary this is a story that's out i think today or maybe it was yesterday but today is when i saw it and he went into this you know i hate cancel culture i hate the idea that that everybody who was a great leader but an imperfect person now uh, is under this kind of cloud of suspicion. And that, you know, if we're not careful, we'll end up canceling all of our lionized figures. And that just makes my blood boil. Like I don't care enough about the role that these people played in the time that they played it to get me to a place where I go, Yeah, but, you know, I mean, he says that without McDonald, Canada never would have come together. Well, how do we know that? And why should that be an answer to the question, what about the residential schools? What about the treatment of Indigenous people? It's not an answer to it, and it shouldn't be an answer to it. We should stop talking about it as though the question about residential schools needs to be turned into a, but don't you love McDonald? Don't you think Canada is a great country, even if it's imperfect, isn't it better that we have Canada, even if it came with residential schools, that's a bullshit argument and we should stop hearing it.
0: Let me, let me throw something somewhat similar at you. And let me, let me ask you how you feel about this. Um, As you know, and as most of our listeners know, I worked for the CBC for, you know, 49.9 years. I wasn't there long enough to get that special gift they give you if you've been there 50 years. It's like a shortwave, you know, transistor radio or something. Anyway, I was basically there for half a century. So I have, you know, I, I have fond memories. I have memories not so fond. Uh, I, I feel I, I helped in uh, certain achievements the place made, and obviously I, I am responsible for, for some of the things that didn't go as well. Having said all that, I don't work for the CBC anymore. So while I defend or attack the CBC, it's you know certainly within my right as somebody outside. I have a contract a couple of contracts with the CBC on doing some documentary work, but I'm not a staff employee anymore. But here's the here's the story that. I have just become aware of in the last 12 hours. In the 1960s, the early 1960s, one of the CBC's best documentary producers went to the same school in Kamloops, the residential school at Christmas time. I can't remember the year, I think it was 62. And he did a documentary, half hour, 1 hour, I'm not sure how long. And it was glowing. All right. Worked with the church, was running the school, worked with the government, and appeared to have worked with the um, residential school students in putting this together. And it was beautiful scenes of, you know, singing at Christmas and, you know, dancing and what have you. Um and it aired at that time and was looked upon as things were looked upon in 1962 only the year previous only the year previous John Diefenbaker had succeeded in in the, his uh, charter of getting allowing um indigenous canadians to vote right they'd never been allowed to vote before 1961 so they just received that acknowledgement as members of the society. Anyway, this film go, uh, go airs on the CBC, and then like so many things in the CBC, it gets buried in the vaults, right? Well, in the last uh, couple of years, this this thing, CBC Jam, has started, which is the streaming service for CBC, and good for them. They're starting to use that and to try to get stuff out of, uh, of their past and what have you. Um, and Lo and behold, if you dig deep enough into Jim, or at least two days ago, if you dig deep enough into Jim, you will find this documentary. There was there, and you could watch it. With nothing said other than, here it is. This is what the residential school system is like. And they aired it. Yeah. And it was yeah. being aired for those who went deep enough to find it. Anyway, somewhere along the line, someone went, the light bulb went on and said, oh, jeez, we better pull that. Now, I don't know why it was pulled, and the CBC hasn't given an explanation. Was it pulled because it just is outrageously um, not representative of, uh, of that school, clearly from what we know now? Or was it pulled because we need to balance, counterbalance that with the facts that are known now? still offer it up as something that was part of that time this is what we did this is what your public broadcaster did and yet here are the facts that we know now and put them side by each and 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 you watch it in with that or that you just pull it say nothing and move on you know i got to think about that for a while i'm not sure what the right answer for that is
1: i am okay I think that we all have a responsibility to do more than just passively say, well, that was wrong. So for me, just removing the item is passively saying that was wrong. If we don't go further and say, look at this mistake we made, look at this error in judgment that we made, understand what was wrong about it, then we are really not doing justice. Um, We are not making it right. We are not doing enough that's active to say, you know, the wrong didn't stop when it was aired. The problems of residential schools are here today. They're magnified over time. As you've been so eloquent about Peter a much longer period of time than me, we know how many lives have been damaged um, by the experience of Indigenous people. So if we're serious about wanting to do right, then every time we find something in our history that we think is wrong... Yes. You know what? It's good to live in a democracy where Jason Kennedy says, I value Canadian history, so I don't want to hear these arguments because I don't believe we should go full force into cancel culture. That was his statement yesterday. Well, you know what? That's a political statement, full force into cancel culture. I can make a political statement on the other side, which says I want to go full force into being honest about who we are, what we did and why it was wrong and what we're going to do about it. That's what we should be doing. So that's a reasonable debate to have. And so for the CBC, to me, you know, I bet if we went on their website, Peter, and we found the the statement that sits there somewhere that says, here's the, here are the values that we believe in and that we guide our everyday actions about and, and all of that kind of thing, you know, I'm sure they have one. Uh, it's probably a hundred pages long. If you, if you found the print version of it and So if you looked at that and you looked at, well, let's just quietly kind of make this thing kind of disappear. Those things don't square. You know, there's a lesson to be taken from it. And it doesn't mean that you have to vilify the people who did the piece. What was it? 70 years ago, 60, 70 years ago. Um, But it does mean you have to say it was wrong and we're sorry we did it. And, we should learn something from it and everybody should know that this is not what we should do going forward there is a new reckoning in the world around discrimination and i think that's a good thing and i think it's part of why the stakes are going up on these issues um and the pain threshold is going up and it's why we get these arguments about let's not go full force into cancelled culture but those arguments have to be defeated they have to be debated and defeated
0: Okay, uh, you know, I just said uh, we're going to move off this topic uh, in a moment. Just like, let me say this because I've I've been saying this. Uh, I said it internally at the CBC for the last, at least the last decade. I was there, and I know I've talked to you about it over time. Um, but I firmly believe this: uh, that if we don't address this, you know, in a meaningful, constructive way. And soon. And when I say we, I see, I mean all of we. It's not just an, a non-Indigenous thing. It's an Indigenous thing too. I mean, all the decisions being made by Indigenous leaders over the years, and they're the first ones to tell you haven't been right, haven't been perfect. They've had problems as well in this trying to make this relationship work. But nevertheless, you know, I feel increasingly uncomfortable when I hear people talk about You know, we don't have the same kind of clout on the world stage that we used to have. That's true. It is. Um, However, I feel increasingly uncomfortable when we try to make clout that we're out there trying to tell other countries how they should behave on human rights questions. Well, we've got issues ourselves, you know? Yeah. Look within our borders before looking outside of them. And what I used to say... Uh, when I was in a position of some uh, you know, cloud in the CBC uh, was that if, if we don't address this as a country, and if we don't address this more, more fundamentally as a public broadcaster, and there's been a lot of good work done on it, don't get me wrong, um, but more focused even uh, than it is now, um, the day will come when we're faced with a much greater situation. And you just need to look south of the border to see that there's a point that's reached on the part of those who feel oppressed or they can't take it anymore. And, you know, there have been moments in our last 50 years where it seemed like that point was about to be reached here, but never got that far. Uh, But that doesn't mean it never will get that far. And so, in my view, you you know, it may not be while I'm alive, um, but we've got to deal with this or we're going to pay a much bigger price than we're already praying, playing, uh, paying in terms of our, um, the respect for us on the, uh, on the big stage and the respect we have for ourselves on our own stage. Anyway. Yeah, I,
1: I think that's right. I think that's right, Peter.
0: Okay. We're going to, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to, uh, Another topic that we always have uh, fascination with, especially this year. Uh, that's in a moment. Okay, uh, some people think that, you know, okay, enough already, enough election talk. Um, the thing is, the beauty of this conversation is that it seems to change all the time. Um Every week, there's a new angle to it. And so I, I don't want to dwell on this. Maybe five minutes on it would be enough. But um, where are we? Where are we on the, the, um, the expectation of when this next election will take place?
1: Well, I think it's going to happen uh, late summer. You know, we, we are, everybody needs to define what they mean by summer and fall now because there's been so much kind of uh, mashing together of uh, doses in the summer, doses in the fall. But I guess what I mean is I think that the election is more likely to be called in August for a date towards the end of September. And uh, I do think that between now and then, um, pretty much every Canadian who wants a vaccine will have had the option to get a a vaccination and probably two doses. Um, So I think that the idea that the pandemic will be mostly behind us and then people can go out safely and vote. So it doesn't have to be a completely kind of um, different sort of election. I think that's true. I think that You know, there are those who are saying, well, I don't think the government can force an election or trigger an election or cause an election to happen without a really good argument for why they need a majority government or they need a new mandate. And um, I I see some merit in that argument, but I also think that coming out of the pandemic period where we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars to stabilize the economy, to provide the medical uh, and other health supports that we needed to try to figure out what, uh, what parts of the economy are going to be so seriously damaged that we need to nurture them back to good health in the coming years after the pandemic is behind us. I think those are a lot of big questions that require a kind of a fresh uh, agenda. And so, you know, I think it would be a mistake for the government to say, let's go out to the polls um, and ask people if they think we did a good job Uh, But if they did say, we want to go to the polls because here's an agenda that we want to put in place for the next four years, um, I don't think that people are going to look at that necessarily and say, we're really unhappy that this is happening, so we're going to penalize you for the fact that there is an election. I think that the challenge for the conservatives on this has been saying that this is a ruinously bad government, but we don't really want an election right now. I think there that's an awkward position to take once we're through this vaccination period. Um, I understand why they're taking it. um, But I think it's a more untenable argument as we get closer to the end of the pandemic. And as people start to think about, well, what's next, what is coming next? Um, And I, you know, so so I have a throne
0: speech and tell them what's coming next. Why, why do you have to have an election? My
1: Seven people listen to these throne speeches and two of them are us. This is not a way to set an agenda in in a material sense, right? But in an election
0: campaign, campaign, they don't get focused on policy either. Usually it becomes personalities and, you know, the one-offs, the moment of the
1: the campaign. let me me get a chance to make a choice.
0: Okay. Let me just say this because I think we're more or less in the same park on this, but Um, You know, I think it'll also be uh, late summer because the longer you leave it, the potential for other issues starts to crop up. You know, inflations are growing concern in the United States. Might be here, and if if it becomes a growing concern, then it affects everything from interest rates and all those people who have you know purchased houses with mortgages at very low interest rates. are Suddenly going, oh my gosh, what if, what if my mortgage rate goes up? Anyway, you know, there's that, and there are other issues from jobs to what have you uh, that could you know. The longer you leave it post pandemic, the longer those kind of things can happen. Um, that doesn't mean all, all, all would be bad post pandemic. In fact, some things may be really good. Um, but nevertheless, it's a gamble. But there's also risk in the going f- forward now if you're the leader. If you have a minority government and you say, I want an election now, and nobody's pushing me to have an election, the opposition's not forcing me to have an election, and I choose to have an election, well, you bloody well better win a majority government or your party's going to be wondering what the hell was that all about uh, if we come back the same way we left with a minority um so it's a gamble you know and it's a you know a, a, at the end of the day it's all in the uh, hands and the head of one person and that's the prime minister he's going to make that choice but
1: you know it's, yeah it's a know, gamble i, it, I- I can't put myself in his shoes, and I can't imagine what's in his head. Um, I can only tell you that if I was in that job, first of all, I would be so anxious to get out of that job <laughs> that you, you could barely keep me for running for the ex- to the exits because it's a hard job. It's a it's a it's an unpleasant time to be in public life, and it's a deeply stressful time to be in a position of authority. And I would say that about politicians that have to make decisions as, as mayors and premiers and as the prime minister. So, um, but I also think that if you're him, you, your political career is going to end at some point. I mean, I know that we have this occasional fascination with the idea that people want to be a prime minister for life. Well, I don't see Justin Trudeau wanting that. I see him as being somebody who probably thinks I've got a few more good years in me. Uh, There's some things that I haven't done that I said I wanted to do and that I promised to do, and that I want to uh, make more progress on. And so if you're him, you call an election, you lose, you're done. You win a minority, the clock starts ticking on when you're done, but you're done sometime between now and four years from now. Uh, because that's just a natural way of politics. People inside a party will go, "Well, that was a good run, but you know we need to kind of refresh." And 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 he probably would be the first to kind of look at it that way and say, "I'm not going to fight to hang on so I can run another election." I've seen, and you have too, lots of politicians who would uh, do that, but I, he doesn't look to me like a guy who's made for that that fight, made that way, made with that kind of inner gyroscope. So if he wins the majority, he has a few years to accomplish more with a stronger mandate. Um, but I still think he's gone before the election after that. That's just how I see this guy as a as a kind of a, a political actor. And I think it's probably the right place for his head to be. And And so it wouldn't surprise me and it wouldn't particularly frustrate me as a voter if he uh, if he asked for another mandate uh, within that time frame. All right. Well, there you see what our views
0: are this week. We'll see. We'll see where they are
1: next week. <laughs> Stay tuned.
0: Uh, yeah. Right. Listen, we never talked about radishes, but I know they're doing well and hopefully they continue to do well. We'll pick that up.
1: Uh, the radishes are going great, but Peter, so are the vaccinations. And let's <laughs> just all get that shot don't, because don't, we'll don't get, get back me, together don't, faster. Don't get me if started
0: about the Yeah, just Just Will that vaccine
1: towards you. Okay, I'm willing it.
0: I'm willing it right now. All right, good. All right, buddy. Good to uh, talk to you, as always. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with the Thursday Potpourri. Friday is the weekend special, and we've given you lots to write about, so write about it. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Peter Mansbridge for Bruce Anderson. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours.